Full Court Fits is The Ringer's new weekly NBA video series hosted by Big Waz, aka Wozni Lambre. Each week, we take you around the world of NBA fashion and share can't-miss style choices from your favorite players and keep you up to date on the latest news and releases in sneaker culture. Waz also talks to experts like Damian Lillard's personal stylists to give you behind-the-scenes looks at how the NBA's biggest stars choose their outfits. New episodes drop every Friday, so make sure you're subscribed to The Ringer's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer so you never miss an episode. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Hello, boys. I'm back. (laughs) Joining me today, as always, our Ringer staff writer, Zach Cram. Say hello, Zach. I don't think I can match your enthusiasm. Hello. (laughs) Well, you want to match enthusiasm. Uh, Our third co-host is a man who I learned from last week's show celebrated his 10-year anniversary by taking his wife to see the man he's having an emotional affair with. <laughs> Say hello, Ben Lindbergh. What could be more romantic than taking the woman you love to see Shohei Otani? <laughs> to see the man you love. <laughs> I can't uh, argue with that. Keen, keen followers of Ben's my Twitter accounts will know what happened to, to Ringer MLB Slack in my absence. I didn't I didn't keep my eye on that channel for about six days and Ben turned it into hashtag Shohei. Uh, my favorite my favorite message came on Saturday night as Ben basically posted a video clip and said, look how great my guy is. It's swinging and missing. It's yeah, you look, went absolutely you went completely feral. And I enjoyed I'm so glad I'm back to keep an eye on. Those blissful few days when you were away and no one condemned my Shohei Otani content. Uh, last week on the podcast, it was blissful. We just discussed Shohei. No one disparaged us. But yeah, we're we're both married men in our 30s. I don't know what your weekends look like, but watching Shohei Otani on a Saturday night is about as exciting as it gets for me. So I don't apologize for my posts. Never apologize for your posts. Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm, I'm going to try not to think or talk to my therapist about how uh how much fun you guys seem to have in my absence uh that's just (laughs) not something that's going to keep me up nights uh before we start i do want to ground us in the baseball news i have a new favorite two-way player and that's padres reliever daniel camarena who in just his second major league at bat hit a grand slam 
off of Max Scherzer of all people. He got this was it, it, the the Padres broadcast seemed as resigned as you would think to having a reliever come up uh, with the bases loaded against Max Scherzer, and he looked like a hitter. He like he went up there and looked like he knew what he was doing and put that thing onto not on the concourse, but on the walkway between the first two levels of, of seating at Petco. Uh, Jake Cronenworth, don't read this. Daniel Camarena, hello. Can I say, Mike, uh, I side with Ben in all things Otani, but are we to believe that Ben wants to eliminate this kind of phenomenon from happening ever again by the introduction of the designated hitter? Like, I know we have other stuff to get to today. We can't rehash the DH versus pitcher hitting argument again, but we just keep having more and more evidence. This is special. It is so much better uh, than just having a designated hitter go up and bop 30 homers a year. This one homer it will be more memorable than any designated hitter home run all season. Ugh, Zach, I was hoping we could get through something joyous and wonderful without making it a referendum on the DH debate, the most tired debate there is. Even I could say I enjoyed this. <laughs> when a pitcher gets hurt hitting, it turns into, oh, why don't we have the DH? And when a pitcher occasionally hits a home run, it turns into, this is what you want to do away with. I base my decisions on the bulk of the pitcher plate appearances, not the worst ones or the best ones. And I will say I enjoyed this one. And this was not even a particularly hittable pitch. I don't understand how this happened. No, he went down and got it. Yeah, he looked like a hitter. Like, is he a hitter? (laughs) I was not aware of his existence on Earth prior to yesterday. So I don't know what his background is. Like his his limited small sample minor league stats doesn't make it look like he's the next Otani. But that swing was pretty impressive. He had a grand total of zero extra base hits in his minor league career, which granted was a small sample, just 31 plate appearances, but uh, five hits, zero extra bases. And then he hits a home run on a pitch outside the zone off Max Scherzer. Incredible. I love baseball. Yeah, I think this is one of those moments that, and like Ben said, we won't uh, belabor this too much, but this is one of those moments that stand out in regular season baseball where the point is that there's just sort of too much of it for anybody to consume. It's just always there. And every so often something truly exceptional happens and gets everybody talking. And, you know, as much as I love the Otani hater bit, there's been a lot of that has been the, uh, has been courtesy of Shohei Otani this year, but Daniel Camarena, if he does nothing else, it is major league career. He's going to have this. I mean, the what made this better obviously was the shots of his family particularly his brother just losing his mind in in the crowd uh just a really good moment i think this is going to end up being uh being one of the more more memorable uh regular season moments from this year they should retire the swag chain just let him keep it for the rest of the season <laughs> <laughs> uh, that i that didn't actually like the slam Diego connection didn't actually hit with me until I saw them put the the chain on him. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I guess it is infectious. All right. So let's get to the meat and potatoes of the show and what we're going to be doing today. Uh, for those of you who enjoyed the yelling and screaming and assignations of the, uh, 25 under 25 list from a month or, or so ago, we're going to be doing a redraft and not one of our silly, draft as ways to as rubrics for talking about things. We're actually doing a draft. Uh, This weekend is the Major League Baseball draft. Ten years ago was the, if you can add, uh, the 2011 uh, Major League Baseball draft. Probably the best draft, uh, best draft class top to bottom in 
the history of Major League Baseball. Uh, more than a dozen future All-Stars, future award winners, some of the best players in baseball. Um, this is something that has been a fascination for me. Uh, this was one of the first drafts that I paid attention to as a, a young baseball blogger. Uh, it features one of my favorite players in the game. Actually, two of my favorite players in the game. Um, and you're going to recognize almost all the names that, that we go through. But one name that you would probably expect to hear, uh, but wouldn't is Trevor Bauer, who, uh, was the number three pick in that draft. And if you've been following the news, uh, over the past couple of weeks, you, uh, can probably figure out why, uh, Bauer, as you probably know by now is on administrative leave from major league baseball, pending the results of an MLB investigation under the joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. This stems from an assault in May that's been covered uh, extensively in the in the athletic and elsewhere um including on this podcast last week. Uh so as much as we know now uh there's going to be more information coming out there's going to be discipline I would imagine from from the league at some point in the future this administrative leave he's on now is part of the process to allow the league to gather more information uh and meet out that uh that punishment whatever punishment they they find um to be appropriate, there's also the strong possibility of criminal charges being filed. So this is, as you know, as much as we've learned over the past couple of weeks, this is still very much uh, an involving and growing story. And I think once all all of that that process is is concluded, uh, weeks, months, maybe even years down the line, if we're talking about uh, the criminal justice system and how you know, how Bauer's reintroduced to the sport, if he's reintroduced to the sport, uh, we'll have a, a better picture of him as a, a holistic historical figure, if you want to talk about it that way. Uh, but right now, it just doesn't seem appropriate for us to uh, try to separate his on-field exploits from this really horrifying thing that uh, he's been quite credibly accused of, of doing. And, you know, we're viewing this as a an exercise of who we would want on, on our teams. None of us would pick Bauer on, on our teams right now. Um, which sort of leads me into one sort of underlying conceit of, of this exercise, which is we're not trying to relitigate, relitigate the draft and say, you know, who's going to the Mariners at two, who's going to Cleveland at eight, who's going to Arizona at seven. Um, we're just picking the players that we would want on our teams. And so, that will inform the the selections that you're going to make or that, that, uh, that you're going to hear throughout the rest of this episode. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to this because you love this draft. Like I love Shohei Otani. <laughs> you, yes. You, this 10th anniversary is a capital E event for you. I know you've been looking forward to this and anyone who hasn't do yourself a favor, just go to the baseball reference page. Maybe as we do this draft, you can look at that first round and it's a really special page because every player there has major league stats really up until you get to poor pick number 30, Levi Michael, who was taken by the twins and never made the majors or at least haven't made the majors, hasn't made the majors yet. But those names, I mean, it's marquee names toward the top and those aren't even all of the great names in this draft. We will be selecting some players who were not taken in the first round or in some cases even close to the first round. But the top of that draft is really stacked. And one thing that we, I think, will make clear as, as we get through this, I mean, 
you typically don't expect that many great players to come out of a single draft. Even in this one, you know, probably the greatest of all time. Once you get down to the last few picks, you know, you're sort of sorting through the rubble a little bit. But with this draft, it takes longer to get to that point than really with any other. Yeah, that's something that I think baseball, casual baseball fans don't really appreciate is how I think the 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 draft is a crapshoot old saw is a little facile, um, but there is such a long lead time and so much uncertainty with drafting and evaluating these, you know, high schoolers in in some cases. You know, Francisco Lindor, who's gonna who's gonna be um one of the first names off the board, was 17 when he was drafted. And it's very, very difficult to to pick um you know, to to see what a guy like that is at 17, what he's going to be like at 25. Um, and this draft belies the difficulty of, um, or belies how difficult that process is. And so you usually, like, it, what was it, 2014? The top two picks haven't played the majors and probably will never play the majors. And here the top 29 picks all made the majors. There are multiple all-stars multiple Cy Young finalists, multiple postseason MVPs just in the first round. Uh, I mean, like Ben said, just go to the baseball reference page, look at the names, and I think you'll understand why I find this so fascinating. And we should also say that to be eligible for this redraft, you have to have signed, right? Because there were some excellent players who were drafted that year but did not sign, so it could have been an even better collection of talent. There are some what-ifs here, but we're only taking the guys who were drafted and signed with the teams that took them that year. Right. So imagine the list of names we're going to reel off, and then imagine that it includes Brandon Woodruff and both Nola brothers and a couple other uh, high-profile guys who didn't uh didn't sign it's just one of the best uh, assemblages of of amateur talent ever like comparable i would say to the 1984 or 1996 nba draft all right so i think that's enough preamble uh bobby you told us you had a draft order for us i did promise that um my selection of draft order has been a topic of controversy on the big picture recently in the movie drafts uh, I've been using a website called Wheel Decide. It's a pun. It's spelled Wheel, W-H-E-E-L, and I put names on it and spin it. So that's what I'm going to do for you guys. I'm current. You've appointed yourself your own words in, in our discussions before this episode. You are the Roger Goodell of this draft. So I think I think it's only appropriate for all of us to come together and boo. Boo! Boo! <laughs> <laughs> Boo! You guys aren't booing. Okay, ready? You're not booing. Are you guys ready? Can you guys all see my screen with the wheel okay. on there? Yes, for okay, full great. transparency here. This for is full good. transparency, I am not yanking your leg. <laughs> oh! oh, lands on our Ugh. good friend Zach Cram. Just missed Ben Lindbergh. Yeah, okay, Cram, you're going it. first. Uh, did we determine if this is a snake draft, by the way? Are we snaking back? I don't care. Okay. Bauman will be going second. Ben, that makes you third. All right. So, Mike, that means you have the difficult selection because I will waste no time in strolling up to the board and selecting with the number one pick in the 2011 Major League Baseball redraft, a shortstop out of Overton High School in Nashville, Tennessee, Mookie Betts. Oh, man, you said shortstop, <laughs> and I was so excited. <laughs> he, was, uh, he was at the time announced as a shortstop. Everybody 
everybody was a shortstop. And he obviously <sighs> developed into the clear best pick here. I would hope that both of you would have taken Betts number one as well. He is the second best player in baseball ever since he came up. And I think he is the clear number one pick, even though at the time he was a fifth rounder picked 172nd overall. There were a lot of very good first rounders in this draft, but none can measure up to the fifth rounder Mookie Betts. Yeah, we didn't didn't think that. Well, you know, some people would say he was better than Mike Trout. He certainly turned out to be even better draft value than, than Mike Trout. Fifth round. Uh, Wonders never cease. Okay, with the second pick, I too am going to take a high school shortstop. I'm going to take Francisco Lindor from Monteverde Academy in Monteverde, Florida. Uh, I don't want to give away what's coming up out on the site uh, next week, but there's going to be uh, some discussion about the number two pick in the 2011 draft. Uh, Lindor is... He's everything you want in somebody that you're going to build a team around in terms of being good at all aspects of the game, having that you know magnetic personality that makes it easy to sell tickets, which if I'm running a team is something I want. He locks down the most important position on the diamond. Uh, he's been consistently very, very good. I think there's a lot of different ways that you could go with number two overall, but I have got no regrets about going here. I would have made the same decisions there, and I'm bummed that I missed out on those two players, but I am happy to take the player I will pick with the third overall selection, and that is another position player, Anthony Rendon. So there are other good options at this this pick. There are pitchers one could take, but as anyone who listened to our 25 under 25 draft knows, I tend to prioritize position players, and Anthony Rendon has been... I'm really excited to exploit that, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony Rendon has been, I would say, I mean, entering this season, I certainly would have had him as a top 10 player in baseball. He has not played that way in 2021. He's been a bit banged up. He's missed some time. He hasn't played like his usual self when he's been on the field, but I have faith that he will get back to that level. He is the the perennially underrated, so underrated that he's no longer underrated type of player. And uh, he was taken with the sixth overall pick in the first round of the 2011 draft, but I'm bumping him up three spots here. Yeah, after he was the consensus 1-1 guy heading into that year, but uh, had to uh, DH most of his junior year at Rice because of a shoulder injury. So there were concerns about whether he was going to stay healthy, and that led to the first four guys off the board being pitchers. Yeah, so that was an issue with him early in his career. I mean, even when he was a prospect in the minors, in the majors even early, there was the question of whether he would stay healthy. And really, once he hit 2016 or so, that became less of a concern. So with the fourth pick, I want to say that I am not as concerned about pitchers in this draft than I was in the 25 under 25 draft. And that's because the purpose of this draft is to pick the players with basically the best careers from 2011. But we already know how the first half of their careers have gone. Most of these players are about in their early 30s, late 20s. They're halfway done with their careers. So we already know, for instance, that Garrett Cole, my fourth pick, has had a very good career. He went first overall to the Pirates that year. He has never won a Cy Young Award, which is interesting because multiple other pitchers from this draft have won a Cy Young. But I think Cole is clearly the best pitcher, both thus far in his career and projecting forward. Yes, his spin rates are down significantly since MLB started testing for sticky stuff. Yes, I understand that 
He was very bad in his last time out against Boston, but I think over the totality of his career, and specifically over the last few years, Cole has proved why he deserved to go 1-1 overall and is a, a fine fourth pick for me here. All right, with the number five pick in the 2011 Major League Baseball redraft, I am picking George Springer, outfielder, University of Connecticut. Uh, one of multiple playoff uh, playoff round MVPs to come out of this um come out of this draft class and also I think still an extremely underrated player somebody who got tagged with with swing and miss problems early in his career but has t- turned it yeah you know, he's played the first decade of his career in center uh has been a really productive hitter it, it, his problem I think reputation wise is he was always sort of the fourth most famous person on those Astros teams um he's just now uh getting on the field with Toronto uh I've got every you know he's i don't know if he's going to age the most gracefully into his 30s as somebody who's gotten a lot out of his legs but i think that he's somebody who could transition to a corner later in his career um maybe focus a little bit more on hitting ver- or hitting for power than uh than other aspects of the game and continue to be a productive player for the next five years um and you know the first few years of his career uh haven't been haven't been too shabby either so uh, George Springer, number five overall. He went 11th uh, to the Astros in the original incarnation of this draft. Ben, who you got? Well, can I just say something about Springer quickly, which is I think he is also emblematic of the fact that most of the Astros' really good players that led to their title team were already on the team before they started their complete tank. Springer was drafted in 2011. They got Carlos Correa the next year, even though they had landed the number one pick before going full tank they already had jose altuve in the lineup and i think springer predates the tanking process and kind of shows why tanking is not why the astros ended up winning it's that they already had a lot of really good players on the roster even before the new regime took over i mean to say nothing of they got the first pick in the draft three years in a row and got absolutely nothing out of two of them um and you know the I, they got. A, I think they did get some benefit from tanking, particularly uh, in a time before everybody in the league was doing it. But the high draft picks, as such, weren't as big a piece of the puzzle as you might think. Yeah. Also, Springer, one of the best postseason players of all time already. And I don't know whether that factors in here for the redraft. Like, if if this is an alternate universe scenario, does he is still he get still all clutch? those? Is yeah. he still clutch? Does he still get all those postseason plate appearances? But to the extent that that transfers over, and obviously it's been a big source of value and a big source of enjoyment for Astros fans thus far. So that's a, a big part of it, too. So I had the same players in the four and five spots that you did. I don't know whether we will start to diverge right around here or else this (laughs) podcast is going to get a lot more boring than I (laughs) do. But at number six, I am taking Javier Baez, who was picked with the ninth overall pick in round one. And I'm terrified, by the way, that I am either going to completely whiff on someone who was taken in this draft or take someone who was drafted but not signed. But uh, I haven't done that so far. So Baez, look, I have no idea how Baez is going to age because he is just a unicorn, essentially. I mean, his plate discipline and the way that he has produced despite it really kind of puts him in a class of his own. So I don't know what he will be like from this day forward, but I do know that he has been very valuable to this point. He is more than three years younger than George Springer, which is a consideration here. Javier Baez, for as long as he's been around, is still only 28 years old. 
And the plate discipline issues are as extreme as they've ever been. And yet he is still an above average hitter this year. And of course, he's been one of the best gloves in baseball and a gold glover and a deserving gold glover. And he's fun. (laughs) So whatever the war is, he is also just one of the most dynamic, engaging players. We all know about the incredible tags, the plays he makes, the deking Will Craig into making an all-time boner, if you want to give him credit for that. (laughs) So Javier Baez, I'm taking him sixth. Well, if nothing else, that explains why you were so concerned about Clutch just now. (laughs) How much, uh, I don't know if it's ever going to get better for him than it was during the 2016 playoffs. Mm Mm-hmm. The next three people on my board, Ben, were all shortstops. You took one of them, and I think I will take Trevor Story next. Trevor Story was a supplemental round pick, 45th overall out of Irving High School in Texas. And I think he first has a lot left of his career, especially if he moves outside Coors Field, which I imagine he'll do either later this month or at the very least in free agency after this season. I think Story was underrated for a while because he was very good at a lot of different things, but not spectacular at any one. He was a good fielder. He hit for power, even though some of that obviously is credited to his home ballpark. He's very fast. He was even getting on base better with an on-base percentage up in the 360s uh, over the last couple of years. So I think he is just an all-around great player who would probably get a lot more recognition if the Rockies had won a few playoff games in recent years. But I think he's a a pretty worthy pick for number seven overall. Crap. (laughs) This is about about where I stop feeling awesome about every guy's... Who's on the board. Okay. I'm going to pick a player. I don't like that much. I'll be completely candid. Somebody who I always thought was a little bit overrated, but then you look at the numbers, you go back and, and you see, uh, multiple seasons with Cy Young finishes, um, out of nine years, seven seasons, uh, with an ERA plus of a hundred or better a total career ERA plus of one eighteen, uh, and still going strong in his early thirties out of Vanderbilt university. Right-handed pitcher Sonny Gray, uh, who went uh, 18th overall in the original incarnation of the 2011 draft. I really wanted Story to fall. I thought Ben bumped Baez a, a couple picks higher than I wanted him to go. But uh, but here we go, a pitcher and a non-Garrett Cole pitcher at that. Yeah, I had Tim pretty high on my on my board, too. I was kind of debating Baez and Story, and it was sort of the, the fun factor that led me to put Baez a, a bit ahead. But... I would have strongly considered taking Sonny Gray next. He was a little lower on my board, but this is uh, this is a tough region, as you said. This is now past the the no doubt slam dunk superstars who you can feel really great about taking in every cases, but still a lot of depth and and high caliber depth in this draft. All right, so where will I go with this next pick? I guess. <laughs> this is uh, also one that I have some misgivings about, but I think I will also take a right-handed pitcher here, and it'll be Kyle Hendricks. And Kyle Hendricks is uh, one of the big helium guys in this draft, right? Because uh, he was originally selected with the 264th overall pick in the eighth round of the 2011 draft, but I'm taking him here, and again, it's the track record. You look at the stats, and it's tough to argue with how good he has been for quite a while now, and I was worried the way he started this season, but he's been on a a great run lately and has gotten the ERA under four again, 
And we talk a lot about how we wish there were more stylistic diversity among baseball players. And the fact that he does this without throwing hard in this era, it's just perennially impressive to see him do it. And whether it is tunneling or seam shifted wake or he kind of breaks every statistical model or like when you look for the outliers in in various studies, it's always Kyle Hendricks seems to be at the top in terms of, for instance, his ability to just locate pitches in like the perfect places over and over it's just always like on the outside corner he has great command so i don't know how he will age and how you know as his velocity presumably plummets even further whether he'll be able to keep this going but he's already been really good and has a couple top 10 cy young finishes and he's done it in a really interesting way yeah i had hendrix as the number two pitcher on my board hendrix has a career 129 era plus that is tied with Justin Verlander for seventh among all active players with at least a thousand innings. And the only guys ahead of him are DeGrom, Kershaw, Sale, Kluber, Scherzer, and Cole. So yeah, Hendricks doesn't have the big strikeout stuff, but he's gotten it done for a thousand innings now. And I think he he was ahead of Gray on my board as well, not to dismiss your selections, Mike. Uh, the next pick uh, for me, which is I think number 10 overall, is going to be Marcus Semien, who went sixth round, 201st overall pick back in 2011. He is a, a shortstop with kind of like story, no single carrying tool, but is great at just a bunch of different things. He was a third place MVP finisher in 2019. He has become a better hitter and a better defender over the course of his career, and I'm impressed with that improvement on both sides of the ball. He's been great this year in Toronto is kind of the veteran and the, the young infield of all the juniors. And I imagine based on how he, he's performed this season, there's still more to come out of his bat. So Marcus Semyon is, I, I think, a pretty good pick here for somebody who for a while had been kind of kind of dismissed in Oakland because he was part of the succession of trades that lost them Josh Donaldson. And it seemed like such a loss for Oakland. But Semyon really picked up the slack toward the latter part of his tenure there. And came to to Oakland as part of a trade with one other player who might get picked in, in this redraft. And I think Semyon is a pretty good value for number 10. Oh, God. I want to trade down. <laughs> Can't do that in the baseball draft. Mike. I know. it's Mike, Mike, yeah. how much are you willing to give me to allow you to trade down? <laughs> no, I don't need I to trade down. I can be bought. Roger Goodell, he was bought by the NFL side, so he can't be bought by the players or anything like that. But I can be bought. <laughs> my problem is I'd have to trade down a lot because nine of the next 10 guys on my personal board are pitchers. Uh, and I know that these this jokers... such an on-brand problem. These jokers don't think you need pitchers in order to win. Um, okay. $100 Wawa gift card and you can go down five I don't want spots it that if bad. you need. I think I'm winning anyway. Uh I'm going to I'm going to go for a first round pick in this draft, uh the number 52 <laughs> selection out of Shorewood High School in Shoreline, Washington. Cy Young winner Blake Snell. Uh so we can watch him nibble at the edges of the strike zone. He's not having a great season this year, but he's sort of a late bloomer despite being a, a pretty young high school guy. Um he took a few years to to develop, uh, didn't reach the majors until 23, had that one season, the Cy Young season in 2018, which was as good as anything, basically anybody in this draft class has put up. And I think 
you know, as much as he struggled to work up big workloads, as much as he struggled to throw strikes from time to time, I think he's somebody who's still got the potential to to continue to develop through his. I mean, he just turned twenty eight. Um, no, he didn't just turn twenty eight. I read that wrong. He's he's still <laughs> twenty eight. Um, <laughs> so when you're looking, when you're comparing him to, um, you know, somebody like Mike Clevenger, who I think will go off the board in, a, in the the next couple picks, he's got more runway to to run into. So I don't know. Might as well pick him here because I think I'm going to get a bunch of other guys who are in the the mid teens on my list cuz you you guys have very different taste in in uh, ball players than I do. I actually do have a bunch of pitchers coming up but I think I had five undrafted pitchers ahead of Blake Snell <laughs> still which uh, I guess we have different taste in Blake Snell. Yeah, I don't think that's an unreasonable conclusion to draw depending yeah, on what you value. I mean, part I of it is Blake- that I I don't really enjoy watching Blake Snell pitch <laughs> and so to the extent that like aesthetics factor into this that is uh, part of my anti Blake bias here but also just you know the, the usual quibbles and complaints about Snell not going deep into games and and all that but there's still some good arms left on the board here. So I think all right, I I think I'll I'll go here with uh, with one of those pitchers, and frankly, we didn't know what to do with this player. Uh, it's Jose Fernandez, who obviously uh, tragically passed away very very early, and thus we didn't know if we should omit him from this draft or how we should factor him into this, but. I think given the impact he made on Major League Baseball in the short span of time that he had there and given how great he was and given how wonderful it was to watch him both as a rookie in his Rookie of the Year winning campaign in 2013 and in his last season, 2016, when he just seemed to be getting even better potentially. I mean, there was no more exciting pitcher than Jose Fernandez. There was no more engaging pitcher. There was no more watchable pitcher. And he meant a lot, I think, to that franchise and that organization and to baseball fans in general. And so, you know, I don't know if this is the the alternate universe scenario where we're talking about talent and hoping that things had somehow turned out differently for him. But even if not, even if you get what we got uh, and what he got, then I think the the level at which he performed was just so stratospheric that it exceeds any other player who is still on the board here. Yeah, I I had him lined up with my with my next pick. If I did not anticipate you going the sentimental route, like that was mm-hmm. out of character for you. But this this whole team is is just like fun and good vibes, and and I'm not really sure what to make of this this direction. Um, yeah, what I, the way I'd put that is the two and a half seasons that we got out of Fernandez, I think are more meaningful than 10 pretty good seasons from some of the other pitchers who are in a similar spot on the, the war leaderboard. Not just like, if you want to be really, really numerically focused, focused about that, like if those seasons come at the right time, that could be the difference between winning a title or not, but also like which player, you know, which pitcher on this list, are we going to remember longer than Jose Fernandez? Like maybe Cole, like that's, that's about it. And I think that's an entirely, particularly as much as baseball is based on 
storytelling and folklore and how the the next generation of that's going to be defined by, you know, highlight clips and gifts and stuff like that. Like Jose Fernandez gave so much to the sport in such a really short time. In addition to just being on pure merit, one of the probably three or four best players in this draft uh, at their best. Yeah. Jose Fernandez was also next up on my list. So he wouldn't have gone back around to you anyway, Mike, I, I mentioned I earlier, judge both of you. I mentioned earlier that Garrett Cole is, been the most accomplished pitcher of this draft class. Jose Fernandez was the best pitcher of this draft class. Depending on how you define it, he had one of the five best starts to a career for any pitcher of the modern era. And I miss watching him play baseball. Yeah. And also in terms of the whole like let the kids play aspect of things and the being demonstrative and expressive and emotional on the field, you know, he arrived a, a few years before the Ronald Acuna's of, and Fernando Tatis Jr.'s of the world. So I think, you know, he he kind of blazed the trail in, in that respect, too. He was just so much fun to watch. One of my favorite pictures in baseball history is after he started the fight against the Braves after his first career home run. Well, I don't know if he started that. Maybe that's not fair. Chris Johnson started the fight against the Braves. Um, and there's the huge scrum around home plate and the cameras looking down the third baseline. And Fernandez has his helmet off and he's uh taking off his batting gloves and he's got this huge open mouth grin on his face as he's looking down at his third base coach like like this is awesome and i think that's it's it's hard to you know you'd have to be foolish to think that didn't impact some of the the guys that were really you know acuna and tatis and and juan soto and guys like that who came after all right next up there are two people i'm deciding between and one of these picks would be really cruel Ben, should I be cruel or should I not be cruel? <laughs> cruel to Michael or cruel to me? I'm not going to say. I just want. <laughs> I don't think you have blind to. Thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, go for the cruelty. Then I am taking Jackie Bradley Jr. Jesus, twist <laughs> that knife. Woo! <laughs> Jackie, if I had known that that's what you were going to do, I would have strongly <laughs> urged you to do it even sooner. If, if I'd known that's what you were going to do, I would have traded down. Jesus. He was the only person. Mother, <laughs> <laughs> Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, is not hitting in the very process well of winning a national championship while this draft uh, came around. Jackie Bradley Jr. would have gone in the top fifteen if he hadn't gotten hurt his junior year. By the way, the Red Sox got so lucky, and I'm still mad about it. And <laughs> I'm great, great. I've been mad about I've been mad about the Phillies not drafting Jackie Bradley Jr. for ten years, and now I get to spend the next ten years getting mad that that Zach got to him before I did. And uh, I had another chance. I had another chance and I fucking blew it. <laughs> I don't even really think I need to to say a blurb at this point. Jackie Bradley Jr., 40th overall pick, one of the, the supplement around. And I think Mike explained why I just picked him here. Moving on, Mike, who's your pick? Shell-shocked as you are. Wow, he's scrambling. He's reordering his draft board. I'll yeah, I almost don't care <laughs> at this point. I don't know. I guess I'm gonna take a pitcher who's fun to watch and has good vibes and is a you know, fun personality. It has a lot of growth potential later in this career. I mean, this is something that that we don't think about a lot in the draft. Um you know, when we're just sort of looking back, but like age relative to draft class matters a lot. This guy was in the uh uh, 2011 draft with an August 93 birthday and is still 27 years old. So even though it seems like he's bound for for Tommy John surgery, uh, I'm taking the big righty 
out of William S. Hart High School in Santa Clarita, California, who went in the fifth round of this draft, uh, Tyler Glasnow. Yeah, I struggled who, with where to place Glasnow on this list because, like, not Jackie Bradley Jr. <laughs> the potential with him is just as high as anyone else who's left on this board, certainly. And yet, if we're going with value accrued thus far, it's not great. <laughs> I mean, he has like four war at baseball reference lifetime now, and he's looking at potentially a bit of an absence here. But he was also one of the best pitchers in baseball when he got hurt. And just looking long term, you'd have to think that he has, uh, you know, as about as good a chance as any pitcher who is still left here of maximizing that value. And he's also fun to watch and just has like dominant, unhittable, nasty stuff. Yeah, like if if Charlie so, Morton yeah. can turn into Charlie Morton, then Glass now can turn into big Charlie. Yeah, it's the. So for my pick, I will go with someone who does not have the the flashiness and the real first division type potential of Tyler Glasnow. He is not going to be contending for awards the way that Glasnow might at some point in the future, but he has racked up quite a bit of value to this point, and that is Colton Wong. And Colton Wong was, I think, the 22nd round pick in the first round of the 2011 draft. And he has just been solid and dependable and steady ever since he has come up, essentially. He's actually having a, a career year offensively as we speak. I don't know whether that pretends future uh, offensive breakout or not, but even just as kind of a league average-ish hitter, which he has basically been for several seasons now, between that and being, you know, fairly durable. I mean, he's uh, he misses some time every year, but he doesn't have any catastrophic injuries. And he's been one of the best fielders in baseball over that span and at a position where maybe that's a little less noticeable than it is at some other positions. But he has a couple gold gloves and they are very well deserved. And hopefully that at least will age well. So going with Wong. I was leaning toward Wong over Bradley just because I trust his bat a little bit more, but it would not have elicited nearly the reaction from Mike. So, so I had to go Bradley, but I, I think they're pretty <laughs> similar players. <sighs> Do I take another good defender next? Maybe. I will take another position player who I believe has a lot of growth potential, even though he can't seem to stay on the field. I will take Brandon Nimmo. Brandon Nimmo went in the first round, 13th overall to the Mets, so pretty close to where he's landing here at number 16. Nimmo just gets on base. He has a career 392 on base percentage, and that's over 400 if you just zoom in on the last few seasons. He isn't the best defender, although I think he would look a lot better if the Mets stop trying to play him in center field. And well, he, good news. He won't have to do that on your team. That's true. He has a Betts Bradley outfield to join him. <laughs> and I will happily slot Nimmo here because the most valuable thing you can do in baseball, this is why I placed Juan Soto number one on my 25 under 25 list, is get on base time after time after time. And Nimmo does that the best of anyone left. He has a 430 on base percentage this year. That might regress a little bit, but it's not that far from his career average. Okay. I'm going to pick a guy who has another kind of late bloomer who's pitching like one of he's been one of the best pitchers in baseball this season. Another growth potential ish guy, another big right hander out of a California high school, the 46th pick in this uh, in the original draft. 
uh, Joe Musgrove out of Grossmont High School. Uh, this season, 222 ERA uh, in 85 innings with the no-hitter. He's been involved. This is probably the the biggest impact he's made is as is as a part of three huge trades. Uh, he was originally drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays, which even I forgot. He came to uh, to Houston in the Jay Hap, Brandon Lyon, uh, Ben Francisco deal with uh, David Rollins, the former podcast guest who was uh, DFA'd, what, like seven times in one offseason, then a key part of the Garrett Cole trade. And then just as he was good, the Pirates couldn't have him anymore because the Pirates can't have good pitchers. And now he's uh, finally living up to that tantalizing potential in San Diego. Uh, I think he's, th- this is a part of the draft with a lot of, where you start to have to make the decision between do I want what the pitcher has been thus far or what he could become later or is becoming. And I've sort of gone that route twice in a row with, uh, with glass now Musgrove. Yeah. I would have taken Musgrove there also. And since I cannot, that's comforting. <laughs> I will actually. go against type here and I will take another Padre starter, Mike Clevenger who was drafted with the 135th overall pick, a fourth rounder in 2011. And I said go against type because I'm the guy who prioritizes position players and frets about pitcher health. And there's really no one whose health is more concerning than Mike Clevenger, who had Tommy John surgery late last year. And it was his second Tommy John surgery, which is extra concerning. But at this point in the draft, there's not a lot of high ceiling left. And so I'm just going to bet on him beating the odds of the the second of the two-time Tommy John surgery recipients and hope that when he comes back, which uh, in theory should be at the beginning of next season, he keeps pitching at his previous level, which was really, I mean, one of the very best pitchers in baseball on an inning-per-inning basis, at least from, say, 2017 to when he got hurt in 2020. He was extremely effective, great bat-misser, and uh, I just sort of have to hope that that arm is still intact when it is repaired, that he still has those skills. He's already 30 and he hasn't really racked up that much value to this point in his career. I mean, more than Musgrove, more than Glass now. But, you know, this uh, he, he needs to keep it up for this to be a good pick. So here's hoping. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, 
You should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and one. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. I will also take a picture next. Here's an interesting statistic. So since 2018, Kyle Hendricks has a 121 ERA+. plus. Pretty good. That means he's 21% better than average, but he's already off the board. Tyler Glass now has a 123 ERA+. plus. So again, pretty good, but he's already off the board. Sonny Gray has a 124 ERA+. plus. He's also off the board. Blake Snell has a 126 ERA+. plus. He's been off the board for a while. And then this next guy, also with a 126 ERA+, plus, is Chris Bassett. And Chris Bassett does not have anywhere near the, the track record of these other guys. I think that's why he's fallen. He's also already in his age 32 season. But I think given how well he's pitched since 2018, which is the date I chose because that's when he returned from Tommy John surgery, he has thrown well enough that I think he will be a good pitcher for a while to come. Chris Bassett uh, was that player I mentioned who came to Oakland along with Marcus Semien in a 2014 trade for Jeff Samarja. He was a 16th round pick for the White Sox, number 501 overall back in 2011. So to get where he is now from where he started as a 16th round pick outside the top 500, then he was not good in his initial exposure in the majors. Then he had Tommy John, and now he's basically the ace of a team that is probably going to make the postseason. So Chris Bassett, uh, my next selection. That was great. That was like the the dorkiest wrestling intro of all time. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'm also going pitcher. I'm going for a pitcher who's been uh, consistent. I'm going to say consistently excellent with a couple exceptions over the past eight years, uh, but not out of the rotation. I'm going with Blake Trinan, uh, who in the real world was a seventh round pick out of South Dakota state in this draft. I, I'm hoping that my team is going to contend lining up with his uh, with his 2018 where he was the best relief pitcher on the planet through 80 innings and had an 078 ERA. Uh, but he's been pretty good for the Dodgers. He was good for Washington a couple years before that trade. Uh, it's it's not always a matter of of quantity. It's a matter of getting those great innings in at the right time. And maybe this is. You know, my Philadelphia derangement overrating good relievers, but but I think we're getting to the part of the draft where there are a bunch of good relievers on the board and Trinan is is my pick of those. I'd just like to point out that that makes five straight pitchers for Bauman, by the way. Oh, does it? Yeah. Crap. I'm going to have to. It's not always about quantity, but it is also about at-bats, potentially. Do you have anybody to take at-bats? Well, I think the way I've got my team set up right now is... I'm not going to run out of pitchers because some of these guys are going to get hurt. You know, like Snell and and Glass now in the the same rotation. We're going to have injury problems. But if there's nobody but Lindor and Springer to hit, then that's a pretty good lineup, I think. What, you're just going to alternate them and use Ghost Runners? 
Yes. Yes. Like <laughs> Pesa, Ben, what the, the Finnish baseball is Pesapala, right? Yeah, Pesapaya. Yeah. Pesapaya. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's that's mm-hmm. what we're playing here. All right. Well, I am not going to take a pitcher, I don't think. And I'm certainly not going to take a reliever this early in the draft. I am going to go with a player I'm not excited about exactly, <laughs> but uh, Kevin Pillar. Zach, you you took the Met center fielder. I'm taking the current Met center fielder who is filling in for Brandon Nimmo. That's Kevin Pillar, who was uh, actually a 32nd round pick, the 979th overall pick in the 2011 draft. So great value here. And he's a glove guy and he's played to almost a thousand career games. So he is uh, slowly but steadily racked up the value. He really had some elite defensive seasons. I mean, like plus 20 fielding runs type seasons back in 2015, 16, 17 with Toronto. Uh, He is no longer that elite as a defender and he's really never been a a great hitter. But, you know, he's close enough to average to make up for that (laughs) with the glove in He's already banked, you know, depending on what war you look at, close to 20 wins in his career. So that's not bad at this point in the draft. I love how smug you were about not picking pitchers and you picked fucking <laughs> Kevin Pollard. <laughs> yeah. Hey, those are my priorities. You, so, Ben, you're familiar with Nichols Law of Catcher Defense, right? So <laughs> yes. you think that mm-hmm. so it states that the worse a catcher is at hitting, the better everybody assumes he is as a defender. <laughs> and you made this pick anyway. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think uh, Pilar is actually a great defender, or at least has been at certain times. So it's not just that it's uh, the reputation because he can't hit. Because he can't. That's the, I think that that bears repeating, but. <laughs> he's, not the, he's not the worst hitter that I considered taking in this draft and might still take in this draft. Spoilers. Yeah, that's true. He's not a worse hitter than, what, Kyle Hendricks? Um he is a worse hitter than Jose Fernandez, but <laughs> true. Okay, so Ben, you just made a snide comment about taking a reliever this high, but I think I am going to do the same thing, and that's because I have the benefit of hindsight. The reason you don't take a reliever this high in the draft is because relievers don't tend to stay good for a while, and they're very hard to predict. But I know that Cody Allen, there a 23rd round pick, number 698th overall, in the real 2011 draft was one of the best relievers in baseball for five consecutive seasons from 2013 through 2017. He had a 2.59 ERA. He had 12 strikeouts per nine. He didn't give up home runs. He was great in the playoffs. And I am going to take Cody Allen, even though he basically disappeared after those five seasons because five he seasons. Retired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't disappear. We know exactly where he is. <laughs> Cody Allen was great for half a decade. And if I get that out of an elite reliever and I can pencil that into my team for half a decade, I am going to be in a good position, especially if I am a contender as Cleveland was at the time and as my team with all its strong 2011 draftees is poised to be. And I think that's where the the question about a reliever comes in. Like, would I take a reliever this high in the draft now? No, but if I knew that he was going to be great for five years, I would. Same with, you know, taking a running back at the top of the NFL draft. On average, that doesn't work out well. But if you knew that you were going to get four or five great years of an elite running back, then maybe you would do that. So I will take Cody Allen here. I think that also also reflects the fact that the options are a little less inspiring at this point now that we're in the back half of the first round. Cody Allen, 23rd round pick, rockets up the board for me here. 
you guys are going to make fun of me. <laughs> I have a reliever on my board higher than either Allen or Trinan. I still just haven't taken him. I've got, yeah, there's a couple guys in this who ended up as relievers out of this class. So I think you can make an argument for ahead of Allen or Trinan. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to pick the last guy or the, the highest guy left on my list. Uh, Dylan Bundy, who was the number four overall pick, got to the majors at 19. And I don't know if, if again, I'm- again, that's now six <laughs> straight pitchers, by the way, for the listeners at home, <laughs> he's taking the best player available. According to him, that's yeah. You don't draft Bobby. This is baseball. You don't draft for me. <laughs> so Dylan Bundy last year had a 3.29 ERA in his first year away from Baltimore. So you could point to that, Mike, and say, well, I will be better at developing pitchers than Baltimore. But uh, Dylan Bundy's ERA this year is 6.78 and the same number of innings. I know what his goddamn ERA (laughs) is this year. The last time we saw him, he was vomiting on the mound. But that's recency bias. (laughs) So haven't haven't we all. Yeah. Yeah, you know who else is really good with pitchers is is the Angels. So maybe he just needs to get to, like you put him in Tampa Bay and he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Um, and then they're going to trade him to the Yankees in a couple of years. But the, I don't know, part of me, I, I think is just so enamored with the prospect that he was that I almost don't believe that he's been kind of mediocre at best for, for his entire career. Um, I don't know, but the other options on this, this list are a bunch of uninspiring position players, more relievers, uh, and guys, you know, I'm, he's probably not going to get it back around to me. Anthony D. Sclafani, who's another guy who's having a good year this year after a really uninspiring first half of his career. And I feel like I've already loaded up on those, on that, that profile. Um, so, you know, might as well be Bundy. <laughs> might as well be Bundy. A ringing endorsement here. All right. Well, I guess I will also load up on a, a type of player I have already selected, really. I went with Kyle Hendricks earlier in the draft, so I'm going to take off-brand Kyle Hendricks and select Zach Davies here. Zach Davies uh, is, you know, basically Hendricks, but worse, also a soft tosser, also a Cub starter. He is 28 years old, and he's not pitching particularly well this season, but he's durable. He's leading the majors with 17 starts. He, you know, really rarely misses one, at least the last few years. And he's been somewhat dependable, not dependably great, although he was quite good in the the small sample pandemic season. But, you know, he's been comfortably above average over the course of his career while racking up some innings. And so I'm, I'm not excited about the Zach Davies pick, but, you know, he was a 26th round pick, 785th overall in 2011. So he has already returned much more than you could have expected there. And I'm just going to go with the decent, unspectacular, but dependable track record. You know, Mike, you need someone to catch all these pitchers of yours looking at my list and Austin Hedges is still available. <laughs> He's going to go on Ben's team because Ben doesn't care about hitting. I thought about him, but <laughs> yeah, Ben's, yeah, Ben's putting together the best defensive team ever assembled and also Kevin Pillar and they're going to hit 183. <laughs> well, speaking of all glove, no bat players, I think my next pick is going to be one of the same. I am going to take Nick Ahmed. Uh, yes. I've already taken a couple shortstops. Almost went with it. Yeah, yeah, I've taken a couple shortstops who I mentioned were more all-around players. 
Ahmed is not that. He has an extremely great glove and an extremely poor bat, a career 76 OPS plus that had looked better the last couple of years. In 2019 and 2020, he was basically a league average hitter. But this year, like the rest of the Diamondbacks roster, he's basically forgotten what to do at the plate. But given his skill set, that's still a valuable player on a team, even as a utility infielder, being able to plug someone like that in at shortstop with injury or players shifting around. Uh, is a valuable uh, roster spot. So Nick Ahmed uh, is my next pick at 25th overall. Yeah, I had him a spot. Uh, uh, Ahmed, I sh- <laughs> sorry, Ahmed, I should say, went in the second round, 85th overall to Atlanta. I had him a spot ahead of Davies on my draft board, and then I made a, a last second <laughs> audible to, to take Davies instead. But yeah, I should have loaded up on the just all defense, no hit team, even Austin Hedges, who will be done in by Robo Ump sometime soon. Yeah, so when you thought when you brought up Austin Hedges, I thought you were going to say James McCann, who was a second rounder in this uh, in this draft. Um, you know, he certainly is an expensive catcher, uh, but I'm gonna. So one advantage I think to having great pitchers, guys who can miss bats, is you don't really need to load up on on defense. And I, you know, figured Lindor is going to catch everything that that gets past these guys. Um, I'm going to take Josh Bell, who was. Not a first round. He was, I believe, the first pick in the second round. Um, and sort of a forgotten first rounder because he got a, a $5 million signing bonus, which put him in the top 10 uh, in this draft class. A huge prospect coming out of uh, high school in Texas. And this is a part of the the draft where if you want to bat, you're down to guys who have basically had like one or two good seasons and don't really give you a whole lot defensively. Um, so I'll take Bell's two and a half good seasons at the plate uh, over Travis Shaw's. He's younger. I think he's still maybe got a little bit more upside. Uh, he's, I guess, out hitting uh, Shaw this year. So that was the decision it came down to. But uh, Josh Bell, first baseman. All right. Well, I thought you were going to take Anthony DiScofani here, but since you didn't, I will. And, uh, you know, don't feel super great about it, but I just took Zach Davies, so I don't have to feel super great about picks at this point. He is having a career year, and you know it's not a total outlier season. He had a couple pretty good years with Cincinnati, so it's not coming out of nowhere. But if this is the, the new DiScofani, if they have unlocked something in him, there have been some articles about how maybe the Giants tinkered with his pitch mix a little bit. So if this is the new and improved DiScofani, then great. And even if it's not, and he goes back to being occasionally good, but mostly unremarkable, that's not so bad at this point in the draft. Man, Joe Panic really hasn't done anything since 2017, has he? He's been so bad. Yeah, we have slim pickings here. Okay, I think I will take... Uh, I'll take James McCann. He might have something left in him he can add to his career value thus far which is i think more than i can say for a lot of the other guys at the top of my list like i don't expect a joe panic resurgence i don't expect a travis shaw resurgence or a a michael fulmer resurgence whereas mccann like yeah he's not great this year but he still has a, a 92 ops plus which out of the catching position is pretty pretty good so mccann not per not for providing value for the first half decade of his career, but for what he did with the White Sox and now could do with the Mets uh, over the duration of his contract. I'll take James McCann here. Those 31 games backing up Yasmani Grandal really sold you, didn't they? I mean, 
I don't know who else to take here. James McCann, second rounder, 76th overall. He can catapult up here. I'm going to go back to the mound, uh, and I'm going to pick the second-best Phillies pitcher out of Yavapai College in Prescott, Arizona, a seventh-round pick in this draft, Ken Giles, who I think has turned into uh, a figure of ridicule. Uh, due to some of his problems with the Astros. Uh, But he's got four seasons of absolutely top-notch relief pitching under his belt, 2014, 15, 17 during the regular season, not the playoffs, and then 19. uh, He's recovering from Tommy John surgery right now, uh, but he's still relatively young. He's only 30. Uh, I think he's still got a lot of juice left in the tank. And like I said, certainly uh, uh, the Mariners seem to believe that because they've got him on a multi-year deal. I think he's somebody who was basically as good as as Allen uh, in his in his prime. Um, I think Trinan's maybe a little bit of a different pitcher, but I guess I'm you know. But he can be the Allen to to Trinan's Andrew Miller in this uh, elite bullpen I'm building out of 2011 draft picks. Yeah, Cody Allen and Giles are basically very the same pitcher in the regular season. The difference and the reason I took Allen up top is because Allen was very good over multiple playoff runs, whereas Ken Giles only pitched in one playoff run and he lost his closer's job and had an 11 740. Yeah, we all know. We know. But you don't need ben, to. Was that, was that the relief pitcher that you had ahead yes, of both of ours? And, and he was going to be my next pick. So you sniped me there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, Because I don't have him on the board, I guess I'm going to continue to assemble my murderer's row of unremarkable right-handed starting pitchers, and I'm going to take Adrian Hauser. And Adrian Hauser, you know, he he had a good year in 2019, and he's been kind of a a sleeper or, I don't know, post-type sleeper breakout pick the last couple springs and hasn't really delivered, but he has if you adjust his home run per fly ball rate <laughs> to league average. So if you say that he's been a little bit unlucky with uh, the fly spirit, balls he is ben. allowed. That's great. If you, <laughs> 10 years out of the draft, he's been okay. If you adjust his home run fly ball rate. Yes. He's never, and I like Adrian Hazard. Like I'm, I'm yeah, we're, I've, we're, I've been picking him to be, you know, be the post type sleeper or how, however you put it right. for a while now. And it hasn't How many years yet. of giving up too no. many home runs is it not tenable to adjust the home run per fly ball rate? <laughs> like, is it 10? Is it less than 10? Or is it more than 10, Ben? Yeah. We're only talking about like 200, you know, <laughs> a little more than 200 innings over the past three seasons for him. So, so I'll put it this way. Yeah. You don't think that's a problem that out <laughs> from the draft. Well, one of those was a pandemic season, so I will give him a pass on the 56 innings pitched in 2020. And, you know, he's been pitching the regular amount this year. So, look, if there's any hope that he might be a breakout at this point, that's pretty good at this late part of the draft. And he hasn't been bad. (laughs) So I'll go with Adrian Hauser, who gets overshadowed deservedly by the many more talented pitchers at the top of that rotation. Chad Bradley hasn't been bad either. He just hasn't (laughs) pitched. (laughs) I'm hoping that Hauser could at least be like the, you know, sub four ERA pitcher he was in 2019. And he's been pretty close to that this year. So he's only 28. There's still hope. All right. So that's 30. Are are we done? Do we want to do one more speed round? I still got some guys here. Yeah, I got some. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Okay, let's go quickly. I will take Michael Fulmer because he won Rookie of the Year. And uh, for the number 31 overall pick, that is very good value. 
he was great for one season, good for another, and I think that's more than you typically expect out of anyone picked this late in the draft. Fulmer, Bauman, your pick. I'm going to continue to assemble my murders or relief pitchers and pick Archie Bradley, uh, who also was outstanding in 27. Uh, he's caught Philly's disease this season and has still been okay, uh, but he's been a, a reliable high-volume um, relief pitching arm in the past, and I think for the 11th round, that's that's not bad. Maybe not for the 7th pick in the draft, but uh, which is what the, uh, the Diamondbacks sent, spent on him, but I think he does not regret picking baseball over football at this point in his career. <laughs> All right. Well, I still have a, a few guys I was picking from here. I thought about Brad Miller. I thought about CJ Crone. Thought about Tommy LaStella, Daniel Norris, but I'm going to go with the best reliever still on the board. You guys are sleeping on Seth Lugo. And Seth Lugo was a, a 34th round pick, 1,032nd overall in the 2011 draft, but he has more than made good. And uh, he is back and healthy and pitching now. And he is someone who should not start games. <laughs> I don't think he has been kind of a swingman for the Mets. And he has been far more effective as a reliever in his career. He has a 4.35 ERA as a starter, which is not terrible, but a 2.51 ERA as a reliever. He has allowed a 561 career OPS when he is pitching in relief. And he's had some seasons like 2019, where he pitched regularly enough and had some multi-inning outings and got to 80 innings just as a reliever exclusively. So I like Seth Lugo here. It's not a bad pick. I was considering him next. If we're doing another round, no, I we're will... not doing another round. Okay, <laughs> we got to stop this. The rule is to keep going until someone gets to Sean Gilmartin. Do you have like we could do that? Do you have that much time in the? <laughs> no, I think that's. I think that's well. just okay. about enough. Um, do would you like me to read off the teams? Yeah. Okay. Cram went first. His team is Mookie Betts, Garrett Cole, Trevor Story, Marcus Semyon, Jackie Bradley Jr., Brandon Nimmo, Chris Bassett, Cody Allen, Nick Ahmed, James McCann, and Michael Fulmer. Bauman went second. His team is Francisco Lindor, George Springer, and then every pitcher taken in the 2011 draft. Sonny Gray, Blake Snell, Tyler Glasnow, Joe Musgrove, Blake Trinan, Dylan Bundy, Josh Bell, <laughs> just for fun because he'd like to see somebody take at-bats on the team. Ken Giles and Archie Bradley. Ben's team is Anthony Rendon, Javier Baez, Kyle Hendricks, Jose Fernandez, Colton Wong, Mike Clevenger, Kevin Pillar, who can actually hit. He's having a great year. Zach Davies, Anthony DeSclafani, Adrian Hauser and Seth Lugo. I really enjoy that that Ben ended up with every soft tossing pitcher in this draft. After all, he talks about strikeouts and going to see Otani throw 101, and his entire rotation is throwing 87. No, I don't. I don't think that's surprising at all. Ben is. I'm surprised by how much Ben went with vibes early in the in the draft. I did not expect you to be such a big makeup guy, uh, but. You've always loved the soft tossers. I think that there's like, yeah, I think an element of there's always been a strong tension in your work, I think, between what you recognize as, as efficient and what you really love. And, that you know, that there's a, a real Welsh schmertz in that uh, in that juxtaposition, I think, has always come through uh, in your writing. Yeah, podcasting. I like I like oddballs. I like weird skill sets. I like players who succeed despite lacking the typical tools. So yeah, fascinated with the soft tossers who make it work. And also Adrian Hauser. <laughs> also Adrian Hauser. I should have taken Terrence Score with my last pick. He's the most fun player in this draft. There's there's a lot of fun guys who, I don't know, this could have been really nuts if we had opened it up to, to undrafted free agents. I mean, but 
Yeah, I mean, some of the guys who who got picked in this draft who who we didn't go with Amir Garrett uh, was somebody I had really good vibes guy, another good relief pitcher I uh, considered briefly. Craig Kimbrell's brother got drafted, uh, and uh, as well as Rock Shoulders and Malcolm Clapsaddle were day three <laughs> picks in in this draft. Dante Bichette's other son, Dante Bichette Jr., was drafted in this draft as well. <laughs> and he served a, a valuable purpose as a, a cautionary tale to Bo. So there you go. Um, anyway, I really love this draft. I love most of the players in this draft, none more so than Jackie Bradley Jr. Uh, and I'm glad that you guys have humored me and spent the past hour going back through maybe my favorite day in baseball history. Yes, it was very humorous when I took Jackie Bradley from you. That was my highlight of the draft. So thank you for that. <laughs> Glad I told you to go with the cruelty there. I don't think he needed your help. I don't know if you seriously considered <laughs> a different pick, but yeah. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Ringer MLB show. Thanks as always to Ben Lindbergh and the betrayer Zach Cram for joining me today. Thanks to Bobby Wagner and Mike Wargon for producing today's episode. Thanks to Mookie Betts, Tyler Glasnow, and Adrian Hauser for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. Calling all podcast fans. Spotify makes it easier than ever to discover new shows to love. Get personalized episode recommendations and easily preview them before you dive right in. Find exclusive video episodes from your favorite hosts and guests. And with some, you can even connect with them through polls and Q&A directly within their episodes. It's everything you want in one app. So what are you waiting for? Try the podcast experience today on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com.